What wonderful news that Jesus Christ has risen. It is so much better news than most of us embrace and apply day after day after day. My name is Brad Talley. I'm the teaching elder here at Grace Community Church. So very glad that you are here with us. I wanted to mention a few things uh, that have already been mentioned, but next Sunday after the service, we're having a discovery lunch. It's for anyone who has been attending Grace, but you're really not sure if this is the place you want to land. You just want to get to know some people a little bit more. Our elders and staff will be here next Sunday after the service. Allison and I will not be here. We're taking off today on vacation after the service this morning, but We will be back uh, in the saddle very quickly after that. And then the following week, two weeks from today, we start our Grace Connection class. By the way, youth, if you are students, if you're 15 years old or older, you want to be a full voting member of Grace Community Church, which is our desire for you, then we encourage you to be in that class uh, as well. Well, uh, last Sunday, Allison and I were in Washington, D.C., Uh, at Union Church where Sean Cross has, Sean and Melissa have planted uh, a church. And it was just so great to be with them. They have some people coming back and forth. And I'm hoping that one day in the not too distant future, some of the members of that church will be here and we can interview them during our prayer time just so that you can get a little bit of a feel for the people that are there. As you can imagine, it's Washington, D.C., right smack in the middle of the city Everybody's got a high-powered job, and it's like liberal and conservative. It's amazing. Only in Christ could these people come together and get along the way that they do. But they sing praises to the Lord. It occurred to me halfway through the message that it was my time for sweet revenge. I said, you know what? I'm just going to go long today. Sean, uh, you did this so many times at Grace Community Church, and I'm going long today. So... Uh, actually, it wasn't. How do you go longer than Sean Cross? I don't know. So anyway, well, it was such a blessing to be there. And I just want to encourage you. I just wish we had a steady stream going to D.C. Listen, not only Sean, but the people at Union consider themselves, even though a lot of them came out of Redeemer Church in Arlington, Virginia, they consider Grace Community Church to be a very important part of that plant. It could be, I know that some of you are are thinking about moving to D.C. eventually, but I'd love for us just to have people going up and encouraging them. Don't, Don't everybody plan to stay with Sean and Melissa, maybe we could just set up a hotel connection, you know, up that way that we could, you could stay there uh, and, and be with them in the services. But just be thinking about our dear brother and sister and the ministry that in many ways has come out of Grace Community Church. Well, with all of the rejoicing that we have had this morning, this has been a difficult week. Some of our members, as has already been mentioned, lost a a dearly loved family member this week. Um, And and the ongoing issues that people are struggling with day in and day out. My daughter has had a touch of pneumonia this week and two kids with the flu. You can just imagine how fun that's been. And then we all watched the aftermath of the Brussels Attacks with sadness and alarm that significant attacks are said to be imminent in Europe. And whenever that happens somewhere else, we're thinking, 
You know, when's it going to happen here? When's it going to happen here? You, you start noticing people that put down book bags and walk away. You know, you, you're just much more aware than you used to be. We live in different times. And then on the liturgical calendar, if you are into liturgy, uh, maybe you went to a Monday, uh, Thursday service or a Good Friday service, and the Seder meal that we're having this Wednesday is only because our brother couldn't be here this past week. So it's a little out of order. But if you've been participating in any kind of Holy Week liturgy, then there's possibly been a heaviness in your heart as well it should be those services are designed to be heavy as we reflect on the cost of our sin on Jesus when he said not my will but yours be done by the way were you blessed by that song I don't know if you noticed that David Calvert co-wrote that David and Tommy Neiman uh, wrote that song together and and some of the some of the most important words in the history for all of us. Not my will, but yours be done. Lord, if there's any other way, even so, I'm willing to die. It's been a heavy week, but that was all this past week. Today is Easter, and He is risen. Today is resurrection. Today is life. If you're at church for the first time in a very long time, it doesn't matter why you're here. I mean, it could be that you're thinking, hey, look, if you're going to go to church, you better go on Easter, right? Good. I'm glad you're here. Uh, Maybe you're here out of a sense of obligation, but it could be you're looking for answers. I mean, it's the one day of the year that people go to church more than any other. If if you're going to go one day out of the year, this is the day that people come. Some people think that the church creates more problems than it solves. But deep down, you know that the church is the primary means through which God communicates His will to the world. His will is seen in His Word. But it's the people at the church who make sense of the Word to those who don't understand quite as well. We have a lot working against us in America. Let me tell you what we've got working against us. Well, I can know as much about the Bible as anybody else. Not really. The Holy Spirit gives teachers in the church, and and when I'm saying that, I'm talking about teachers that are well beyond where I am, people that I study and learn from. And, and, And as a body, we study the Word And everything I say this morning, I'm accountable to all of you, but I'm really accountable to the elders. The elders will, if I say anything out of line, they're going to say, hey, we need to talk about this a little bit. Tell me where you're coming from and help me understand because that doesn't sound right. And so this is the place where you get answers. It's not... What was it the old guy used to say? No brag, just fact. It's not not in any way boastful about we know it. We know it because God revealed it to us. Jim said in his prayer, what God has done for us. Why did he choose us? I don't know. But he did. And if you're here this morning and you're thinking, you know, I, I know that I need God. He may be drawing you to himself. Whatever the reason you're here today, it's good to be in the house of the Lord and to think about Jesus' resurrection. 
Today is the second week uh, of a two-Sunday break from our study in the book of Hebrews. Thank you, Ricky Mill, for sharing about the triumphal entry last week. And then next Sunday, David Calvert is going to lead us back into Hebrews with some important connections between our Sunday morning services and God's covenant relationship with His people. Uh, Today's text is in the first chapter of 1 Peter. The recipients of this letter, of Peter's letter, were in what is modern-day Turkey. And they were very much in a similar circumstance to the people we've been thinking about who received the letter of Hebrews. There are some differences. Hebrews was written to, most likely, a small church in Rome, persecuted believers. These were Jewish followers of Jesus Christ who were seriously thinking about going back to Judaism, which was much safer in that day, in that climate. Rome wasn't looking to kill Jews, but they were looking to kill Christians. Uh, the, 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 the book of Hebrews is a warning not to walk away, not to make a temporary decision that's going to have eternal consequences. The book of First Peter is written to believers who are Close to that place. It was maybe just a a few years before Hebrews, but the climate was changing and believers were in for hard times and everybody knew it. It was about suffering. The theme of 1 Peter is is joy and purity in the midst of suffering. There's a lot about that in there. Um, But these people were mostly Gentiles. And their thoughts of abandoning Christ wouldn't have been to go to any other religion unless it's just some pagan religion but first peter doesn't have the sense of a warning at all the feel of a warning at all it's just a joyful reflection on the beautiful gifts that god has given us through the resurrection of jesus christ before we read first peter 1 verses 1 to 9 i want to go ahead and give you the points of today's message so that you can be looking for it. It's not like point one, correlates with verses one and two, point two with three to five, and so on. Um, these three themes that we're going to give are, are interconnected and interwoven uh, all throughout not the nine verses of our text. In fact, they go through verse 12, but we're going to stop at the first nine verses. Peter presents triads of thought all the way through. And and, and he points to the work of all three members of the Trinity in our salvation. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. They all have a very significant role in our salvation. There is deep theology in these verses. Just like if you were paying attention, there is deep theology in the songs that we sang this morning. Great theology. But that's not the focus of our attention this morning. I trust that you trust me and have done my homework so that the things that I'm going to say are based on the truth of this text. But we just want to think and rejoice about the good things God has done for us through the resurrection. So here are the things I want you to look for as we go through. First of all, the gift of eternal life through Jesus Christ. Through his resurrection. The gift of faith for perseverance in times of suffering that we all encounter. And the gift of hope in a dying world. I'm sure you see the common thread. That is God's gifts to us wrapped up in the resurrection of Jesus. It's our custom to stand as the scriptures read. So I'm going to ask you if you would please stand as we read together. Or I will be reading. You read along 
uh, in your heart and mind. First Peter 1 verses 1 through 9. And I will be reading from the English Standard Version. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who were elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with His blood, May grace and peace be multiplied to you. Blessed, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. Kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. So that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen Him, you love Him. Though you do not now see Him, you believe in Him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Let's pray. Well, Lord, um, just to read that text, we could just say hallelujah, amen, and go home. We pray that you would direct our thoughts as we will remain here for a little longer. As we think about all of the good things that you've done for us in Jesus, burn these words of yours and this truth of yours into our hearts. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you and be seated. With all the gifts we're talking about this morning, um, you'd think it's Christmas rather than Easter. And look, as important as Christmas is, as important as the incarnation is, Easter is the most important day of the year for followers of Jesus Christ. Let's think, let's begin first by thinking about the gift of eternal life through Jesus Christ. In our study of the book of Hebrews, we've been talking thinking about, talking about the differences between law and gospel. And that's not a strictly Old Testament, New Testament dichotomy, but it's a way that we relate to God. Represents two different ways of relating to God. When we relate to God on the basis of the law, we're hoping that we could be good enough to get to heaven. What is the alternative to heaven? Hell. It's not a popular subject today because we suspect somewhere, I'm guessing that we suspect somewhere in the back of our minds that maybe, just maybe we're not up to snuff and we're not good enough to meet the standard that God requires. And it's not an alternative that's pleasant to think about. So let's just not think about it at all. Let's don't talk. It's just better if there isn't a hell. And yet, just think about the desire that we have For justice, it resides in all of us. We yearn for the punishment of those who have done wrong. 
particularly those who have done us wrong. I mean, Hitler's bad, but hey, you're the one that's messed with my happiness, you know. And if you don't think so, why is it so easy for movie producers and directors to make us want the bad guy to die painfully? You know, it's like Liam Neeson is choosing, do I just go ahead and kill him or torture him? And by this point, you're saying, torture him! And then let him die an awful death because of what he's done to other people. Why do people say there's a special place in hell for those who do such and such? We all say these kinds of things because deep down, we all want justice. We all want the bad guy to get his or hers. And we are never the bad guy. Except that the law says we're all the bad guy. God's standard is absolute perfection and we're never going to meet that standard. Okay, well, I mean, I'm, I'm a sinner in a nobody's perfect kind of a way. No, if you have ever sinned one time, if you are born with sin, which we all are, Scripture says you're an enemy of God. You fight against Him. No, that's not me. Yes, it is. It's who we are. Are. And the penalty for failure to keep the law is death. Not just physical death. Not just separation from this body. But separation from God for all eternity in hell. The law says measure up or else. From the moment sin entered the world... Death was certain, full and complete, 100% spiritual as well as physical death was certain. Eternal life was anything but certain. If you relate to God only according to the law, then you're doomed. Far better that you relate to God on the basis of the gospel, on the basis of this incredible news that we've been talking about today, that Jesus Christ measured up. You can't measure up, but He did. And when He died on the cross, He died in your place. And as a result, you are forgiven for your sins and His righteousness Counts for you. It's the great exchange. Jesus took my sin and gave me his righteousness. So that when I stand before God, he looks at Jesus and he says, Yes, enter into the joy of your Lord. The gift of eternal life is first and foremost a gift of forgiveness. You may... Be here this morning thinking, I could never be forgiven. And if I say, yes, you can be forgiven, Scripture says so, you'd say, you don't know what I've done. Here's good news. God does know what you've done. And it's not me saying you can be forgiven. It's Him saying you can be forgiven. He, If you're going according to the law... You're no better or worse than anybody else. We're all condemned. But if you stand before Christ and acknowledge your sin, 
and repent and say, Lord, forgive me for my sin. And then you put your trust and faith in Jesus Christ who died in your place. God delights in bringing you into his family. There is nothing like the assurance that our sins are forgiven. And that's what Jesus' resurrection does. It assures us that God's promise of forgiveness will one day unite us with him for all eternity. Our own bodies being resurrected at the end of time. His resurrection means my resurrection. Before we move on to think about the next gift, I want us to go back and just look at some portions of these first three verses of the text. And as we do, just let the goodness of God's gift of of eternal life and forgiveness wash over your heart and mind. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are the elect exiles of the dispersion. You know what Peter's doing here? In in the Old Testament... God's covenant people consisted of the nation of Israel. God just chose them. He just plucked them out. And he says, it's not because you were better than anybody else. I just chose you. I just chose to pour out my love on you. And now in the New Testament, Peter's talking mostly to Gentiles here. And he says, you are elect exiles of the dispersion. You've been scattered around the Roman Empire. And here's the point if you know Jesus, then this life is not your, this, this world is not your home. You are in exile. But guess what? You are an elect exile. According to the foreknowledge of God the Father. Probably it's best to understand that according to the plan of God the Father. In the sanctification of the Spirit for the obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with His blood. Is that phrase familiar from Hebrews? Sprinkling of his blood. We're cleansed according to his great mercy. He has caused us to be born again to a living hope. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. God's gift of forgiveness. God's gift of eternal life is a living hope, one that is genuine and vital, not a hope that is empty and vain. But what about this current age that is just as messy and confusing and confusing and painful believers as it is for non-believers? That's the focus of our second point. God's goodness to us in the gift of faith for perseverance in times of suffering. I received the gift of forgiveness in the spring of 1972. I I was not quite as old as Jim and Diane when I received Christ, but I was old enough to have had a lot of bad stuff in my life before me. And so I was so thrilled to be forgiven of my sin, and I knew that I would forever belong to Him. Temptation to sin, what's that? What's temptation? In those early days. Troubles? Sure, but God was with me and I knew that he would never give me something too difficult for me to handle. It's kind of the way we think in those early days of being a Christian, isn't it? In fact, you hear people say something like that all the time. God will never give you something too big to handle. Actually, the 
the very opposite is true. He absolutely is going to give you something too big to handle. My goodness, how are you going to learn to trust him if you can handle everything that comes along? There's nothing about me and Jesus in Christianity. What Jesus is doing for me and through me is a wonderful thing. But I can't do it in my own strength. And and if if I live my life that way and I belong to God, he graciously, just like Peter says, it's, it's necessary for you to understand that all of this is bigger than you. But I've got it. I've got it for you. If you can handle everything that comes along, where do you learn to trust? Who do you learn to trust? Yourself, right? It's like, hey, I got this. It's great to hear someone confident when you're in a messy place and someone says, look, look, we can handle this. I got this. Let me help you with this. That's, a, that's an encouraging thing. But there comes a time for most of us when it's beyond anybody's ability to help us. And we think of that as an awful thing. Primarily because we're Americans, successful Americans. Just about everybody in this room. Incredibly successful. But God wants us to a place where we are saying, if you don't do this, it's not going to get done. The trials that the first readers of the Apostle Peter's letter were enduring were extreme. I mean, you almost get the sense that Peter was downplaying what they were going through a bit. Uh, Looking at life with too rosy a disposition for the life-threatening trials that his readers were experiencing. But that wasn't the thing. Peter just had a different perspective on trials than most of us do. He was only seeking to help his readers understand the benefits of God strengthening their faith in these great trials that they were having. When when people encourage you to have faith in in the midst of trials, when the world tells you to have faith, most likely they're telling you to have faith in faith. In some psychological state that somehow you can work... You just need to get centered. And essentially, they don't say it this way, but it's believe in yourself. To believe in God in a very general way is to believe in yourself. And with Peter, it wasn't the faith that was the big deal. It was the object of one's faith that makes the difference. Look at verses 6 and 7. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found a result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation or at the appearing of Jesus Christ. If I'd been writing this letter, here's what it would have sounded like. Oh, 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 I'm so, you've been going through difficult times. I am so sorry. Uh, You're having to endure such suffering. My heart is with you in your pain. I'm just natured that way, you know, and I'm going to say it something like that. Peter said, you've had a few trials. Good, rejoice. 
God's doing something really great in your life. And when Jesus appears, you're going to see that he was building a resounding chorus of praise to him. And you're going to be one of the lead singers. Praising God. You get to participate in the chorus. Hang in there. God has a purpose in your trials. And it is that you will learn to trust him more and more until it all makes perfect sense. When Peter says rejoice even though you have been grieved by various trials. How do you hear that? When he says you should rejoice because you have been grieved by trials. Are you hearing that as an individual? Or as a body? In English there is no distinction between second person singular and second person plural. When we read it. In English, we don't know if Peter is talking to the individuals or if he's talking to the whole group. Now, if you speak Southern, there's you and there's y'all. And you know, right? You get it. We understand all that. And and that's the way it is in Greek. It's not y'all in Greek. But in this text, Peter is using second person plural. He's talking with the whole family. And once again... That's not the way we tend to hear things in our context. One of the most individualized societies in all of history. We think about what God is saying to me rather than what God is saying to us. I cannot begin to tell you, if you're here and you're not even sure why you're here, I can't begin to tell you the benefits of family and a covenant community. Maybe you've stayed away from church because of the hurt that you've encountered in the past. And I get that. Look, there is very little hurt like the hurt that has a spiritual component attached to it. We're at a relatively good place in our church at the moment. Uh, It's not always been the case. And I'm sure it will be challenges down the road. And it could be even still, even in the midst of this peace, that something has happened for for some of you here who are hurt. I get it. We're all in the flesh until the day that Jesus does appear. But we're family. And we'll get through it. The gift of faith for perseverance in trials often looks like the gift of family. The futility of life all around us makes us especially grateful for family and for this last gift that we'll ponder this morning. The gift of hope in a dying world. One of the great commercials of all time uh, was an American Express ad where a piano was playing softly and the and, and there's a camera panning the room and you can see outside that it's raining. Uh, there's, there's a, uh, uh, you're in the living room, there's a coffee cup on the coffee table, the television has got cartoons on it, there's a blanket on the sofa, and Tiger Woods is narrating, a rainy day is my chance to be home, to be a fan, be a kid, be lazy. And then the camera keeps moving, you remember this commercial? And, and you see Tiger Woods in the pouring rain swinging, hitting golf balls. And then he says, the problem is, there are no rainy days. The ad was filmed, of course, in Tiger's heyday. It was before his, his very public 
personal problems. And it was before his body began to break down because of the abuse that he had put it through practicing over and over and over. I'm not going to say that Tiger Woods will never win another major tournament. But I do feel fairly comfortable in saying he won't be winning tournaments 100 years from now. The body breaks down. The world breaks down. We get old. Things are different. No matter how good life is right now, we are living in a dying world. Tim Keller said when he's writing about Psalm 39, everything in life is eventually taken away from us after a tragically short time of enjoyment. When life is exceptionally good, it is really exceptionally good. I mean, just when it's good, it's like this is going to last forever. But it won't. It's one of the reasons that God records our wailing, particularly in the Psalms. He legitimizes our groans, our moaning, our wailing. He understands our pain and our loss. But the gift of hope that he gives in a world of decay sustains us in our darkest moments because we're not looking for things to get better right here, right now. I'm sure you noticed in our text the way that Peter decried the deplorable political situation of his day. No, wait a minute. He didn't say anything about the political situation of his day. The political situation, which, by the way, was, uh, was going to see that many of the people who were reading his letter would, would die. A martyr's death, a horrible death, while people made sport of their execution. The hope that Peter was trying to encourage was not that the right man would be elected. There were no elections. Not, uh, their hope was not that they would be left alone and just allowed to do their kind of thing. Their hope was in the redemption that was theirs in Christ, waiting for them at the end of their days. I don't know if you picked this up. It's just one of those things we could have spent a lot of time talking about in First Peter 1. But salvation in Scripture in the New Testament is talked about in the past tense and the present tense, but it is very often talked about the day is coming. See, it's all part of one big thing in our lives. And it's not done until the day that Jesus Christ comes back. I'm not saying that if you got it, you could lose it. The writer of Hebrews says, if you think you've got it and you walk away, be careful, you may not have it at all. Don't you dare walk away from Jesus. But, but salvation lies in the future. We're, we're, we think we know how good it is now. We have no idea. But the more we believe and trust this hope that is ours, the better we endure these difficult days. The promise of the resurrection is that all will be well. It's the answer to the tears that we cry. Jesus' resurrection says this. You may not have thought about it this way, but here's one of the things that it says. You don't have to have all the answers. You will have them someday, but you don't have to have them now. In Romans 8, the Apostle Paul says that all creation groans, waiting for the day when we will, it will be restored to its original state of perfection. 
the world and society will be as God created it. Perfect. Even in our groaning, it is a hope that is far better than any temporary better day coming sort of place that we try to convince ourselves is true. The resurrection is the basis of the hope that we embrace in a dying world. Every Sunday, every month, on the last Sunday of the month, we take an offering that is strictly designated for those who are in need. It's one, in, in need. It's one of our ways of affirming the truth that, that everything is going to be as it should be someday. And right now, God has given us each other to take care of one another and to reach out to those who are outside of our body. We'll be doing that in just a few moments as we sing. I want to encourage you to give generously as we sing in a few moments. But before we do, as we close, once again, let's read our text and rejoice in all the gifts that God has given us in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And by the way, those of you who are meeting for home group this week, I'm sure a lot of you will not be because of the Easter uh, week. Your assignment is just to, to, to read this text and let it wash. There is so much beautiful, phenomenal truth in here that we didn't get to this morning. But on the basis of all that we've said, think about the promises that God has given us. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are the elect exiles of the dispersion, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with His blood. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. It's one of those triads. He does it over and over and over here. Kept in heaven for you. Who by God's power are being guarded through faith. For a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice. So now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now for verses 8 and 9, I'm going to ask you if you would to stand and let's read these in unison Together. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Amen. Let's pray. Our Father. You've caused us to be born again to a living hope. The hope springs in our heart on this day of all days. We recognize the resurrection of Jesus Christ is our resurrection too. It's not that we're just, not just that we're so united with Him that these things become ours, but that you are united with us. 
Lord, help us to trust you. Cause us to trust you. Not only for salvation, but in the midst of the deepest, darkest places. And as we put our hope in the day when Jesus will be revealed and all will be made right, may we rejoice and say hallelujah. Amen. Be seated. Romans 8, 35 through 39. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress, persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Go in peace.